On today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing an amazing artist, an old manager of mine, and someone whose art you probably have seen on Giphy before. Uh, he is just a fantastic artist, and I am really excited for everyone listening because he just gives so much knowledge on how to advance your own career and um, uh, just another part of the motion design industry that I myself have never really dove into or been informed of. Um, as well, I just want to let you know we will be breaking up the interview and the updates moving forward. So uh, you'll get double the podcast or if you just want to listen to updates or just interviews, well, that's completely up to you. So without further ado, let's get this show started. This is the Future Motion Podcast with your host, Michael Steinberg. <laughs> Legal audio purposes. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. Hey. All right, this is exciting. We have Todd Rochefort. Uh, what's up, Todd? So nice to be talking to you on podcast form, Steinberg. I'm doing great out here in Silicon Valley. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're going to start. I'm going to start the timer right now. Uh, we're going to do right. this is just the quick three, four minutes of bullshit where uh, we yep. talk about whatever, man. Uh, we're gonna, awesome. Yeah, awesome. How, well, what was your day like today? How have you been? How is Silicon Valley? Is, are you guys on fire? Are you okay? <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, Silicon Valley is currently not on fire. So that makes me happy because coming out to California, it was a big shock when I learned there is a fire season that I have to worry about. And then like, especially when you come from New York and like, if something's on fire, it's like a big deal. And then you talk to Californians like, oh yeah, it's fire season. And everyone was so nonchalant about everything being on fire while well, everyone in New York is like, like, are you okay? So that was like a big, a big adjustment getting used to like, we don't have normal seasons here, but we have fire season. You know, there's no winter, spring or summer. There's only on fire and not on fire <laughs> for the most part. In New York today, it was foggy. The sun was yeah. red. Like I never experienced it. Like, even the moon was bright red like it could have been a twilight finale it was insane <laughs> i couldn't make special effects that good it was really surreal but so you're welcome for that from california <laughs> luckily the wind is blowing e is blowing east because we have no issues right now with the fire so <laughs> as usual you know what comes out of silicon valley affects everywhere else <laughs> <laughs> well the, the last question i'm gonna ask and then we'll jump right into yeah. the podcast did you after last year with the fire? Because you were pretty close yeah. to last year. Yes. I remember you saying yes. that and show me. Did yeah, you it was really gnarly. To, uh, just being in Silicon Valley for anybody, this is a yeah. fun question here. Did you have to like yeah. skip work at all? Was there any like... Well, well, luckily it was the pandemic. So there was no work to skip. <laughs> so we were already home. But I don't know what, what the policy would be. I think we'd still go in because it, like the air sucks like going from building to building. But once you're in a building with filters and everything like you're fine like and if you are in california right now listen to this podcast go buy air filters now because they are going to be gone and you're not going to be able to get them i got mine a few months ago so go buy air filters <laughs> do that <laughs> hot tip of the day all right well so we're going to go ahead and get into the podcast let's do this get ready for the interview the interview all right, guys. Yes. So here we go. We are into the interview portion of the podcast. Today, we have an amazing friend of mine, Todd Rochford. He was actually my manager at a previous job, Real Vision. Uh, that job was crazy. That job was fun. <laughs> it was a startup. So if yes. you ever were startup, it is a roller coaster that uh, yeah. you've seen a little Nas video. It's, you know how he goes from heaven to hell? It's like that it's like every day going back up and down from hell to heaven. It was a, it was a fun ride. Um, it was crazy. Startup life is, it's insane. Well, it's a, what I like about startup life is it's in the work part is insane, but you make some of the best friends you'll ever make just because it's not totally work environment, you know, because it's still being formed. It's like halfway in between like a frat house and a company. So it's like such a different experience, like being at a startup or now 
I work in big tech, so it's a very different environment. <laughs> and I'm excited to go from there. And you even had a more of a history prior to that, but I'm yeah. excited to yeah. go through all that with you and to where you are yeah. now. That was a crazy ride. I, and startups, if you guys do it, and just uh, <laughs> get ready for everything and always update your resume because you never know. <laughs> <laughs> we were the winners though we quit on our own we, we got out we got out <laughs> we got out and we got out on top which is uh exactly not always fortunate but we'll go through all that here in a minute we're just gonna want to start off here because you are can you please just tell me just what do you do exactly yeah yeah so I'll, I'll give the rundown first of all that's incredibly flattering michael so thank you very much for that so yeah i have a, about a 10-year history in motion graphics and i think i'm kind of unique because now i've kind of worked in every formation of motion graphics that exists you know i've done everything from gifts to working on television shows to music videos and now i've pivoted to working on you know user interface design with motion so it's, it's really been a lot of different things so i'll just give a quick rundown of my history like i kind of fell into motion so basically i was an editor at an ad agency we had this guy and I found out he made twice as much money as me doing motion graphics. And he was very lazy and never working. So I'm like, I want to do that. So basically, I went on YouTube and taught myself After Effects and just totally self-taught, figured it all out doing that, doing tutorials. I was at that agency for a while, but my real dream was to, to launch my own business. So once I learned After Effects and once I booked my first client, I left the ad agency and started my own video production company. That would have been... 2010, 2011, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like around then, I, I, so I launched my own company. I did a lot of different music videos. I did a lot of, I went to Atlanta. I shot some rap videos. I shot music videos all over New York City. That was really cool. I had every different kind of client you can imagine from shooting to editing, any business, anyone who would pay me money to make them a video. I was on that. And as I was running my business, it was really great. But more and more, I kept getting hired to do motion graphics packages you know, and doing that. And that really started to stand out. And really the big moment, my big break came for me. My friend, Jeff Ryan, who's a director, he's directed a few feature films. Frey was one of the big ones and a, a bunch of others he's done. And uh, he hired me just to carry around his lenses. And he knew I was a good motion graphics artist. And when we were on set for a fashion shoot, he goes up to a producer and this changed my whole career. He's like, hey, this is Todd. He's a really good motion graphics artist. And I always kept my reel on my phone because you never knew what opportunity was going to come up to show off your reel. So I always had it downloaded, ready to go. I show him my reel. And right after that, he books me to work Fashion Week. They were launching these new shows for um, Style.com at the time. They're like part of a giant conglomerate. So they're launching these daily shows and they need a motion graphics package. So I got on that and that was my first big job. And it was literally right before my wedding. So I was literally working, <laughs> working crazy hours. It'd be suffering of every day of fashion week. And at the end of the day, they'd give the rundown of all the new styles. And I had to make, start making the graphics at like nine o'clock when the day ended. So we'd like work all night, 24 hours a day. It was so crazy. And there, it was total chaos. And I ended up having to shoot, edit, do the graphics. But in that moment, because it was such a crazy shoot, I got the opportunity to prove myself I can work hard and I could do different things. So from that, the producer, Nick Matador Productions, amazing production companies, he really hooked me up and introduced me to people that really got my career going. And from that, I started doing some work for some other different companies. You know, MJM, they're kind of part of the WPP, big ad agency family. So I started working at some ad agencies doing motion graphics. You had your own production company at a certain point. Yeah. What made you... Yeah. A, what was like the big thing that made you kind of start it? How was that run? Yeah. And then what, because yeah. I know I, I had a little production company myself that was yeah. a flop. Yeah. I don't know if yours ended up, <laughs> what was that transition from that yes. to going back into full time? Now, that's a really excellent question. So I really love running my own business. I enjoy business. I get excited about it. I love the business opportunities. I actually enjoyed going into QuickBooks every day. And it's really from the business end, I really decided to pivot my business to focusing on motion graphics. Because originally, I, I rented a studio space in Long Island City where I could do shoots, I could bring in clients and do everything. And the more I studied my business, the more I learned, wow, I'm spending a lot of money on camera equipment. I'm spending a lot of money to rent a space to shoot things. And it's generating me like 10% of my money. 
And it's really the motion graphics that was making me all the money at the time. So that's really the business case. I also love, I think part of the reason I was succeeding in motion graphics in my business, it was because it was, I was the most passionate about that aspect. And I think to me, it came the most naturally to me. I wasn't a great shooter and I was definitely not good at sound naturally that was yeah. not natural to me where the motion graphics aspect i feel like it, it played to my natural skill set and it was really once i saw the business case and my skills lining up i'm like okay it's time to really focus in on motion graphics so from that i i had the studio i closed down the studio space went to working from home and decided to really focus on motion graphics i'd shoot stuff if it was on the field and I'd work a lot of times as a second shooter on other people's productions. But from that moment, I really like, I'm going to focus on doing motion graphics and that's really going to be my bread and butter. So you were saying mentioned before, I, I know you yeah. had a very successful career. That's why I love you so yeah. much. You were, you were yeah, thank you. such a go-getter. Um, so what clients <laughs> did you have? Right yeah. So I'll, I'll get into it. And also just for people listening who are brand new, it's like, I say a big list and I'm going to tell you these clients I had. I just want to make it clear. I didn't start out with the client. I really started out at the very bottom doing wedding videos and really doing absolutely anything anyone would pay me to do. 99% of the work is for no one you've ever heard of for things that you'll never see. Part of it is like when also when you're looking at people's reels, just remember that's the highlight reel of their life, not the day to day. So I just want to just to give a little background on me. I've had some really good clients. I freelance at Vice for a while. That was a really good opportunity. I got to work on some really cool productions there. I got to work on some documentaries that I thought were really cool, especially one called, uh, from the Red Right Hand series about the Cleveland Strangler. Wow. That was a really awesome opportunity. Yeah, that was really cool. And then I also, I worked on the Wendy Williams show, doing some freelance motion graphics for them. That was really cool. I, I They had a bunch of these crazy jib jab style animations I used to do. And then I also worked on Full Frontal with Samantha B. I worked on their first show, actually, and I was working on it the day before my son was born. Some of the graphics were on the, in the New York Times. It was in the background. I did a picture of Marco Rubio with a princess hat on, <laughs> and it was in the background to say, there's a new show of Samantha Bee in the New York Times. So that was really cool. So yeah, I had a bunch of different clients. I did some stuff for um, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. I got to use some of their Marvel assets. It was really cool. I got to make a tribute to Stan Lee. So that That's was really right. sweet. Yeah, that was a real, I mean, that was an amazing opportunity, especially anytime you get to use the Marvel intellectual property is amazing. If you want those amazing opportunities, I got that job because I was willing to work on Easter and no one else was. So it's like a lot of times these opportunities are not going to come at the most opportune times. You have to be willing to like sacrifice. You know, I miss the family Easter because it's like, oh my God, the Tonight Show just called me. I got to do this, you know, I'm going to make this happen. <laughs> then I also, for the Grammys, uh, I got hired to do some animations for Wiz Khalifa when he got nominated for a Grammy. So that was Giphy contacted me to make this kind of cool animated car for them. And that kind of got me down the road. I was making GIFs and I was pretty popular on Tumblr. That grew, I think I have like 20,000 followers on there. And then I pivoted over to Giphy. And I started uploading my GIFs and then and that you, got what like... What year did you start kind of making the GIFy stuff? So it sounds like you went from... Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm bouncing all over the place. No, you're good. That's good. That, those are my best clients. So yeah. So yeah. then, uh, so... <laughs> so <laughs> those are my golden the... moments in life. Yeah. Those are, yeah. I, but, but like, and I just want to make sure because it's like, if you're a young motion person or even thinking about getting a motion, it doesn't start like that. It was years before that happened. It was years of doing corporate videos, internal videos, stuff like that. And it's like, I may have had the skills for these opportunities, but part of it is like, you just have to prove yourself. And over time, once people see that you're trustworthy and you can deliver something on time, that's when the good opportunities are going to start happening. So yeah, I'd say the other thing that was really, really great for me was doing the GIF creation. So I started doing it on Tumblr. I got a decent following. And then Giphy reached out to me about the Wiz Khalifa thing. So that's how I kind of got introduced to the Giphy and You were pretty big uh, on Giphy, right? I mean, I feel yeah, like yeah. the funny is I know when I met you and we were yeah. all sharing reels, you were showing yeah. some of your gifts, And I was like, I've yeah. seen so many yeah. gifts, right? Like, yeah. And I won't say, yeah. I'll let you say the Wiz Khalifa <laughs> one, but then I'll say <laughs> the one after that you made. Uh, yeah. 
there's a high likelihood you've seen gifts I've made because I think I can tell you, I'll tell you today what the view count is. Guess the view count. I don't know if this is high balling or low balling. I'm going to guess if I saw it, you got to be at least 3 million. It's 1.9 billion views. Billion? billion with, a B, with a V. With a V. Billion. <laughs> <laughs> 1.9 billion. So, like, you've probably seen some of my gifts on BuzzFeed. You've seen them around the internet a lot. I made a Bernie Sanders gift that was like the gif of Bernie's dank meme stash. That was, that's like, where I remember like, when we first met. Yeah. Me, the Bernie great. Sanders 420 memes. And, I was like, yeah. I have reposted all of these. <laughs> when you're on, and if you're especially in a messaging app and you pick gifts and you type in certain things, a lot of my stuff's going to pop in. That's like the, and part of the, and part of gifts and part of everything was me realizing like, I can, and I can go into why I left freelancing. I think some people might find that interesting. So, I really love running my own business and it was really great. And, and it was going really well. I was having a successful career. You know, me and my wife were doing great, but then I had a son and the combination of running your own business and having a child was incredibly stressful. You know, I just remember one moment where I got an opportunity to do some work, but they literally needed me to like, you need to come to Brooklyn right now if you want this job. Where were and you like, time? I was in Queens, you know? So then I was oh. sort of like, and, I, and like, we're with my son. And then I was like, who's going to watch it? Like, what are we going to do? It was like so stressful. Just like, because with freelance, you'll have dry spells. Even though I was having a good career, it's like, I could still go months without getting any work. So when work came, you drop everything and you did it. And that just became really hard when you have a child, because then you have to factor in childcare. Who's going to watch it? Who's going to pick your son up? And it gets really difficult when you have a child. And also the aspect of getting the money so lumpy. I made a really good living. It was really hard to like, I might not get paid for months at a time and I might be working that whole time and then they don't pay me to the end and then I got to wait 30 days. Getting into that billing cycle was really difficult. And then I'm doing my freelance thing and then kind of a friend put in a word for me and there was a television show called ABC The Chew. It was a cooking show that's no longer around, but they called me up and I had an interview with them. It went really, really well. And I wasn't really sure. I didn't, you know, I was like, I think I want to run my own business. I don't think I really want to do this, but I was like, okay, I'm just going to take the interview. So I go in and I told them what I wanted and then they offered me what I wanted. So I was like, well, I better take this or I'll be a huge asshole <laughs> if they gave me exactly what I wanted. And then I said, no. So then I took it, you know, and, and that wow. was a really good opportunity. You know, I had freelanced on a lot of television shows, but to get the opportunity to take that full-time role on a television show, it was really good. It's like, I learned a lot because when you're working on a television show, it's a lot more than just making the graphics. It's also owning the process. There's a whole team. It's like, how do you deliver it to EVS machine? How do you make sure everything's clear so the assistant director can find everything in the system that they're using? And it's like all the different departments. And beyond that, I was doing the graphics, but I was also designing a lot of the props on set. So then I got to learn about, okay, what do we do in a lot of these these things? Like when I'm designing something that's going to be videos on screen, but then it also might have to be printed out and be made into a physical game for the celebrities to come on and play. That was a really cool experience, you know? The, the tough thing was like a lot of days you had to be in at 6 a.m. on the shoot days. And that was hard with an infant to be awake all night, but go in. But, you know, I really liked having the opportunity to get steady income for a while. So I did that. And then the next step is where I met you. Um, Real Vision oh, found me. Real Vision. That was yeah. where the party began. Exactly. So that's where I met Steinberg. And like a, a lot of my current friends at the startup Real Vision, they're still going strong, which was financial media. So which is really great because I have a big passion for business and the stock market. And that was a really great opportunity because it was so new. I got to create so many different branded shows and really getting to do the intros and come up with the full look, full brand of different programs. And also I got the opportunity to manage team and do that, which was really awesome. And I think we really created some really excellent work there that I'm still really proud of this day because it was such, the nice thing about a startup is like such a cool, creative environment. And that was really good. And I did that yeah. until Bloomberg, Bloomberg contacted me and I'm like, oh, this would be a really great opportunity because I'm interested in finance and Bloomberg is like the big fish 
You right. know, like, okay. Yeah, so you went you want to get vision there. was also financial yeah. media, right? Yeah, financial media. And I'm like, all right, I want, I'm doing financial media. I want to have the biggest fish of financial media on my resume. And, you know, they had offered me a gig. So I took it. And that was super exciting. And Bloomberg was really great. But little did I know that my life was about to totally change that had nothing to do with my career at all was my wife got after I had taken the job at Bloomberg a few months later, my wife gets an offer from Apple to come out to Silicon Valley and, you know, kind of get a dream job. You know, we had a whole life in New York. I really imagined myself as a New Yorker for the rest of my life. I really yeah, thought the like, house, right? Yeah. You yeah. Were like, man, I'm yeah, I was the house. settled. You were, good. you were settled, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. We had literally just bought a house in the Bronx and we were like settled. I thought I would die in this house. It would be the rest of my life. <laughs> and then I'll pass this on I, to my kid. <laughs> yeah. I thought I imagined like that my whole life would be living in the Bronx. And then this opportunity happens. I do believe that like fortune favors the brave and this offer came out of nowhere for my wife. You know, when, when an opportunity like that comes, you have to take it. You know, we scrambled. My wife went out first with my son and my wife's sister and all the possessions in our house. So like I was in a empty, <laughs> empty house, with literally nothing in it other than an air mattress because all my furniture was now in California with my family. So I was a, motivated person to find a new job. You know, when your family's out in California and you're alone in New York, you're like, I really want to find a new job. My wife's got this job in Silicon Valley. I have all this TV experience, you know, and marketing and advertising experience. TV, advertising, those are New York and LA focused, interesting. And I really realized I need to get a job to be able to support my family in Silicon Valley. So the first thing as I did was I reached out to everyone in my network just to see if I knew anyone who lived there. And I just figured out, it's like, okay, I have to figure out how I'm going to reach in my skill set and how I'm going to make myself marketable to the clients that are in the Bay Area, California. It's like, I have to figure out how I can sell myself most likely to a tech company because that is who hires in Silicon Valley is tech companies. I'm very blessed. It's like I met a lot of amazing friends. So I reached out to all of them. I'm like, do you know anyone in the Bay Area? Do you know anyone in San Francisco? Can they introduce me to anyone? So I was very lucky. My friend, Sarah, she knew this guy, Teddy, who had been working in the Bay Area. And I was had the opportunity to talk to him. And he gave me a lot of information how it worked in the Bay Area. Like in the Bay Area, companies hire a lot through contractors and recruiters, which is not really how it works in New York. You're usually going in directly through a personal connection. So I was like, oh, okay, so this is different. So then the first thing I did was I I researched, first of all, he told me a recruiter and that was fabulous. And then what I did is I went on LinkedIn and I scanned through it and I searched and added every single recruiter who was in the Bay Area. And I messaged them, told them about myself and what I'm looking to do and what my skill set was. 90 out of 100 won't respond, but you get that 10. And from that 10, you know, you'll start conversations with them. You know, so I started conversations with probably like 10 different recruiters, 12 different recruiters, and they started taking my resume, taking my stuff and started passing it along. So you had like, you know, so I'm doing all like that. went back to old school. It was like cold yeah. emailing, except instead yep. of clients, it's recruiters. LinkedIn. And here's the hack with LinkedIn. When I started this process, I had zero connections on LinkedIn that were in San Francisco. I had one, which was from the reference of my friends. So I had one person in San Francisco <laughs> and the only two people. I knew who lived in San Francisco myself personally from some motion graphics events I had gone to were moving to New York. So that did not help me at all anymore. You know, and they're like, don't come here. I'm like, oh no. (laughs) Run. So so now I've, so basically I've gotten in contact with all these recruiters and basically for whatever you're doing, it's a similar thing. So then once I had all these recruiters, they started submitting me for different jobs. So I'm getting submitted for all these different jobs. And the biggest thing while that is happening, so for, for you who don't know, like there's really a whole separate world of motion graphics when you get into technology, which is like UX and UI motion, which is very different from when you think about television or you're thinking about entertainment. And the goal there is to be as flashy as possible. With UX, UI, the goal is to make as functional of a product as possible. And instead of being flashy and generating attention for your graphics, 
Your goal is how to improve the user experience. So what I was doing was I was trying to learn absolutely everything I could about user interface design, you know, user experience, and then really learning is how are the tech companies using motion graphics? And the thing is, it's a very small niche, so there's not a lot of information about it. But the bright side, because motion within a user interface context is so brand new, there wasn't a ton to learn. So basically, I really studied and started trying to learn absolutely everything I could about Lottie files and JSON animations, which is one of the best ways to get your graphics, you know, within an, an application or some software. So what are and I, uh, like Lottie and JSON files? Yeah. Okay. And also, okay. Uh, how did you learn about it? Did you have any like yeah. direct influencers or is that just Google? I went on I Google really and I would literally. Yeah, no, like it's really scavenging because look, here's the thing. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm working on some educational stuff with myself because like, look, there's a few people. There's um, UX in Motion, which I'm not sure if he's still doing it, but Sarah Winklescomer, he's fantastic resources for learning. I'm not sure if I had found him, but I know about him now. And there is not a lot about it. But I just started Googling and going into threads, looking for as much information as I could. And then I found LottieFiles.com. So basically Lottie, JSON files, they are a, they're basically, it allows you to export code out of After Effects, but you have to design it within really certain parameters or it won't work. You know, you can't do a feathered edge, but you can do a gradient. It's very particular about what code you can spit out of After Effects. So there's like a decent amount you have to learn and you really have to learn how to design within a very strict set of goals. So what I did was like, I am gonna learn absolutely everything about JSON Lottie animations. So what I did is there's a website called LottieFiles.com, which is just like an open source where people could create um, Lottie files and share them. And I basically, every day I was making multiple Lottie animations. And from that, I started getting featured on LottieFiles.com, which is great because it's like perfect. Now, from a website within the Motion UX community, I have been validated as someone who could do it. So I'm like, perfect. This is great. One more thing to add to my resume. Yeah, just yeah. like Giphy, we're popping off on that. Yeah. So what? So why? Yeah. What do Lottie Files do yeah. that a yep. GIF doesn't do? Yep. Okay. So he, there's a lot of advantages to. Lottie or JSON files, you can people use it interchangeably. The, the the format you're export at the end of the day, you're exporting a JSON file. And what is so much better about a JSON file versus a GIF? One, a JSON file is like an Illustrator file and that it is infinitely scalable. You don't lose resolution. A GIF has awful resolution. And also a GIF is is quite large compared to a JSON. And then the other really crucial, amazing thing about a JSON file is colors and things about it can be edited with code. When you give someone a video, they can't change it in any way. Right. When I give a, an engineer a JSON file, they can say we change all the colors on our website. They can update that with code in that file. It's a lot more powerful in that way because you're not just giving them a video that can't be changed. You're giving them something that can be edited in some ways. And also that you're freeing them with scale and that, and then the file size is minuscule kilobytes. It's tiny compared to these larger files. And when you start thinking about when you start working in tech, when you're coming from video is you have to start thinking about file sizes. A lot of times you don't, they don't have a lot of bandwidth or you're creating a loader. So it needs to be very small and it needs to load quickly. So the big advantage of JSON files is that they're so much smaller and they load quicker. These JSON animations might be smaller in file size than a photo. It's really easy for you then to make the case, like how about we do an animation smaller and it's gonna be so much more dynamic. And you're probably seeing a lot of these animations, but not realizing it. When you go right, through so where, your phone- Where would these be? If you're giving these JSON, so I know you're getting yep. big on this site. It sounds amazing. Yep. And the practical use of this, it sounds like you yep. mentioned loading screens. Who do you hand this off to? And like, yeah, where where yep. do would people be seeing these animations? Like what field okay. of work would, uh, yeah. is this, are JSON files like most prominent in? 
I'd say when you're seeing these, it's probably on the onboarding experience of an application. So when you first come in, instead of doing an explainer video, the animation itself might be a JSON because it's going to be so much smaller. Also say you're on the app Robinhood. The, the, all, we know when the confetti explodes, that's a JSON file. Oh. Anywhere there's animation within it. Okay, you know, like when your app is like bouncing back and forth, there's a good chance it's a JSON file. Like there's a bunch of different applications that you can use this anytime you want to do any kind of complex animation a lot there's different ways to do animations and a lot of times the engineers are doing it on their end but the advantage of a json file is i can hand off the animation and they can just plug it and play it when you start doing in-app animations if it's not a json file i you have to create a spec document of your animation so what it is is literally breaking down into a document and to explain to an engineer it's like okay in this scene, we're imagining the buttons go from right here to right here. Well, you would have to break down and write, okay, in 1,000 milliseconds, it goes up, I don't know, 500 pixels. You know, so it's a very, very specific thing. So when you start working in software, you have to think about every single movement and how you're going to define that. Because anything you create it has to be coded and made by someone. So it really makes you think about every single keyframe and what is the simplest way to execute a task so you can explain it and have it look really good. And then you're going to have to define the motion curve too. You know? well, so at, it sounds like there's a lot of parameters. Now, is this so... Yeah. <laughs> now, so are the engineers heavily involved? And also if you're working on... So I believe you work in like kind of the cell phone industry of producing at like application kind of look. Yeah, I work in, I mean, I, I probably can't talk too much about God. exactly what I work on because right. I signed a bunch of NDAs, but That's fine. I work, I work at Samsung next in their, in their like, I guess it'd be their visual display department is okay. what I do. So what I'm doing is, you know, basically when you're using a, a user interface, I'm designing how it moves around. And basically my job is, how do we use motion to improve the user experience? And how can we use motion to improve how this app functions and make it easier to use and like a better experience generally? So it's very, it's very different. You're really going from a mindset where in entertainment, the goal is how do I make it as shiny as possible? How is it flashy and everything? And you're thinking in terms of how is this artistically and, it, and, it, and it's hard to define like what's good and what's bad where when you start getting into the more product design part it's the goal is how is this serving the user how is this made as functional as possible a lot of times the more complex flasher animation will be inferior to the simple fade up like just fading up might be better because it might go into user testing and they're like oh they responded better to it just fading up. So a lot of times you have to really think about it like what would be the easiest to use versus what's the best looking thing for my demo reel. <laughs> I, I'm just curious and, and we'll move on after this question. Yeah. So I love that like, you, so you went, you got the recruiters, the recruiters yep. got you a job, correct? Yep. And yep. Then oh, this is, I have a good story about my interview. Oh, so I had a yeah. few potential people to talk to I get an interview with Samsung. I like fly out overnight and go there to do this interview. From the recruiters, it made it sound like I was going to be talking to three people. And then I got there and I was giving a presentation for like 30 people. Wow. So like, yeah. So that was Hello, like Todd a really Roger for welcome to Samsung's yeah. Got Talent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was really surprising. It's a good opportunity to get to think on your feet and use my improvisation skills. So yeah, no, so, you're, you're good at. You know, so then I basically had to give a presentation and just sell myself. Because here's the thing: it's like at the end of the day, I did not have any tech experience in my resume. I hadn't worked at a tech. I had worked at Bloomberg, which is sort of a tech company, but I didn't have that. But I had built a portfolio of my own projects showing that I understand this and I think about this. So I really tried to lead with that. You know, I showed them my whole career and gave the path, you know, and they thought that was very cool. But I also showed it's like, look, I'm capable of thinking about and executing on what you want. That was part of it. It's like, if you're going to switch industries, People aren't going to hire you until they see what they're going to make in your reel. 
a lot of times. Right. So a lot of times it's like, if you want to do a certain kind of work, you need to already be doing it. So that's why I really recommend, like, if you want to switch to tech, start making user interface animations. If you want to start doing 3D work, you start doing 3D animations. It, it doesn't work like you do the work and then you get the client. If you wait around for a client to give you the work you want to do, that's never going to happen. If you want something to happen, you have to make it happen and start putting it out there. And if you start putting it out there, eventually other people will see that and then they're going to give you that opportunity. Yeah, I love that because, you know, I think that me and Nick, uh, last podcast we were on, um, and we'll get yeah. into the pocket advice. So maybe you can't yeah. do this one, but the last yeah. pocket advice was that the best thing you could do in the industry his pocket advice was pretty much one of it. He had a two-parter, but was that the best thing you can do in the industry is be somebody that's willing to learn. And yeah. I think that you need to be that person. And like you did with Giphy, you learned it, you put it out there, mm-hmm. and then you got the client. You yeah. wanted to go into this animation and you taught yourself. Yeah, You have to continually be teaching yourself. Yeah. I mean, learning that uh, wanting to learn, I think, is the biggest part of this. I mean, we have mm-hmm. so many programs coming out right now with mm-hmm. real unit you know, with VR coming out with all these, you know, new technicians, all these different mediums coming out. If you stay stagnant, you get left behind. And yeah. what you're doing, too, it's like applications. I mean, that's on the up and up. And yeah. what I love is how you mentioned, yeah. too, like it's kind of a niche field and Hopefully, I know you said you might be having a training thing, which we'll get into that later. (laughs) Segment. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that's that is such an I've never even thought I've been in motion for maybe 10 years. Never even thought about the actual applications of an app movement. Yeah. Just click a loading screen. Yeah. And I love I mean, I hate Robin Hood, but I also use it. Am I current job? Huh? They did an excellent job. Their user, like they have fantastic user interface. Like honestly, dare I say, like it's like as much as you hate them, that user interface is what sells you. They nailed simplicity and design. It that and and I think you have to go to what you just said. They nailed simplicity. So part of it is in the mindset of a motion graphics artist. You usually go towards complexity, and complexity is better. How do I? put in five plugins I've never used before and how do I figure out a way to jam C4D into this and we want to do something crazy where a lot of times something simple is the hardest thing and the right thing Robin Hood is excellent because it's so simple right if they had crazy 3D animations it would be bad part right. of it is and especially if you want to if people want to become a user interface designer is motion designer is you have to think about how do I strip all the motion down to the most minimal movement. And a lot of times it's really the art is instead of before where it's building up, it's learning how do you take away, you yeah. know, and that and so it's a different mindset, you know, it's a different thing to think about. It's completely but I, different. Because I I yeah. don't think Robin Hood would be as good if it used Houdini. You know. Yeah. (laughs) 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 So I have another question for you. I loved everything you were saying about you being in the field and doing your design work and with the minimalists and the control you have there. And we we did talk a lot about what's good for beginners here. So just being on that track, tell me what is the best pocket advice you can give. Yes. And, and this advice is going to be really different. I think a lot of times as designers, we focus a lot on the work itself, making a cool animation. And if you want to have a successful career, that's only 50% of it because the other 50% of it is, are you easy to work with? Do you deliver things on time? Do people enjoy working with you? Because a lot of times it's like, I know people who are really, they're much better technically than me and better artists, but a lot of times they're they're tough to work with or they don't follow directions or they won't just do what the client wants. A lot of times we want to be artists and we want to do whatever I want. But once you accept money from the client, you obviously, you got to give them the opportunities to try to show them that you can give them the best design that will be better for them. 
But if they don't accept that or they know better than you, at the end of the day, like give the client what they want and give them an amazing experience. Because at the end of the day, they are the customer and you're a tiny business supplying them with yourself. So just give them the best experience so they're going to want to give you a good review and refer you to other people because like you might do amazing art, but if they thought you were a pain to work with, they're going to go for a person who's less talented and easier to work with. Because a lot of times the people and the kind of work you're getting paid for, they can't tell the difference between a really good person and a really bad person. I would just say generally try to be a really good person, be very clear, under promise and over deliver, and just really work on your, your soft skills to make sure that when your your communications, getting back to people quickly, delivering things early, you know, making it so the experience of working with you as a freelancer or as a full-time employee is so pleasurable, they're going to want to keep hiring you. Yo, I absolutely love that advice. Yeah. Definitely a big thing. So we're going to go on to our next, one of my favorite questions. Great. This is a big one here. This is my favorite mm-hmm. question. This is kind of what the podcast is all about. So where do you think that the field of motion design is going to go? And where do you see yourself in it? Yep. Oh, man, I think I think about this a lot because I feel like, especially our career is so new. There's no old motion graphics artists. There's no 80-year-old motion graphics artists we can talk to about like how you form a career path. Things are evolving and changing so fast. I think it's a really great time to be a motion graphics artist because one, it's hard to learn after effects. So your skills are in demand. A lot of people do not want to learn it because it's a difficult program. And there are so many new avenues for motion designers. I think the biggest opportunity, the biggest opportunity I saw was bringing motion graphics and that skill set into the software world. I think that is to me, that was a big reason like I wanted to pivot to doing working on the product side versus doing, you know, marketing or making entertainment was I just see the future is you're going to see more and more motion design within the applications that you're using. Right now we are at it is basically like the internet in like 1991 right now is where we are with motion within software. So I wanted to be part of this because it's so brand new. The rules really have not been written. Basically, now every single company has a brand guidelines. I think what you're going to see in the next decade is every company is going to have a motion guidelines. Motion will be part of the brand and every brand will, their icons and everything will move in a certain way. And you're just going to keep seeing an increase in demand for motion designers who can think about solutions for different <laughs> different issues. Like I think we're going to be going from before just making entertainment to really using motion to solve hard design problems. I love that. But what issues, yep. just you being specifically in the field, do you think it could solve and potentially like help in the future? I think that what motion is and how it's used in design process is in the process of totally changing. Right now, motion is really thought as an afterthought, where I see motion is going to become very integral to the beginning of the design process, because there's a lot of things where if you know how something moves, it can change how you're going to design something. Like, for example, say we have a screen and we need to put 100 different television shows on it. If you don't have motion, the first thought would be, let's just make a hundred squares with every different show on it. Where if you have motion, you can have maybe three rows and five in each and then give a beautiful way for them to move back and forth. And I think what it's gonna be is like, you're gonna see an integration of designer and motion really coming together to create the best design product. Cause right now the process goes like, the product's designed, and then at the very end, oh, we need to do some motion for this, and it's coming at the end. Where I see things going is the motion is really going to start to be integrated into the design at the very beginning, and I think as designers become more educated about motion, they're going to be find there's a lot of solutions to design problems that motion can be used to solve. 
maybe i don't know have you used vr before i actually don't have a lot of experience in vr i definitely think there's a lot of huge opportunities in there i remember meeting a guy at a party and he's like if you can learn vr i'll give you a job but so i definitely think there's a lot of opportunities if you get good at vr for definitely amazing careers and i think there's a whole lot of investment right now so if you are into vr i definitely think there's a lot of opportunities for you i didn't really feel like that's where my strengths lay. There's right. a lot of people who are much better at 3D than I am. I'm fine as a 3D generalist. There's a gazillion people who are much better than me. And I rather try to go to an open field where I'm not competing with a gazillion people who are way better than me. <laughs> I will say this, that, and maybe this is an eye-awakening thing for you or maybe for anybody else out there. But I will yeah. say that I think that one of the biggest problems with VR is actually the user interface. I think it is. Yeah, I believe design. that. I think like the problem with VR and the future that we're in right now, moving forward, it's the issue that you were mentioning before. It's the complexity. It's like with yes. VR, we want so much. Yep. You expect so much, but it's so hard to scale back. It's so hard to yep. make what Apple did with the iPod with MP3 player. Yep. The, this idea of simplicity and user interface that people have an understanding, it's just not there. feels complex. It looks complex. It, yeah. Everything about it is super foreign. And it's all motion. You move your head, yeah. you're clicking, but nothing about it is static design. There is an infrastructure of assets that are essentially stagnant. But besides that, even when you click in, you click a button and are you warping in? Is the environment yeah. changing? Is the <laughs> buttons moving? Do the buttons fade yep. away? How do we receive that information is completely up to us in our industry. And again, these are things so far down the line, but they're things that have never been thought of. They've never been, how do you even conceive that? How do you even think of how it will work when it hasn't been touched yet, you know? I do nothing with VR and AR whatsoever, but my two cents is, I think the opportunity right there, right now is huge. I mean, exactly what you're talking about. They're so complicated and they're hard to use. I think the opportunity comes from the person who figures out how to make them simple and how to make them user-friendly because you can have the best engineered product in the world, but it's not going to be successful unless the user interface is so good. Everyone can use it easily. I'm just loving everything we're talking about, man. Cool. I'm having an amazing time. Here. Awesome, man. So the last question here, who is your favorite artist? And is there anybody inspiring you right now? Well, I mean, I think, I don't know if I have a favorite artist, but I'd say I have three favorite artists. I'd say I'm heavily influenced by like the art scene in New York of the 1970s to the 1980s. Like to me, Warhol, Basquiat, and Keith Haring are my three favorite artists. I love their style. They're so different. And I feel like, especially Andy Warhol, we're all as designers just doing derivative of him all the time. You know, he did a lot of this now 50 years ago and it's like, look, we're still doing Duotone. Like you look at Spotify's latest ad campaign, we're just doing little pieces of Warhol here and there. So I think I love Warhol. I love pop art generally. I'd say that's what I'm really looking to. New artists, obviously, for motion graphics. Everyone just jumps to Beeple. Obviously, he's the biggest thing in motion ever at the moment. And insanely talented. And I got to meet him in Las Vegas. He was a very nice guy. So that's great. I got to meet him. He's the I mean, nicest you know him very well. guy ever. Yeah. You know? And we both, he's, he's a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. But for the most part, I think a lot of the best artists are people that you don't even know about. You know, they're not, not someone famous. There's some random thing you see on Instagram and you have no idea who it's from. I'll see a random graphic somewhere and just think it's incredible. And a lot of the best artists, they're people behind the scenes. You have no idea who they are. They're all in my favorites tab when I need inspo. I and I don't even know. A lot of the best artists are just some, some random guy in Argentina 
and he makes something or he designs something and it's incredible. So I'd say like, I guess my favorite artist is like the 10 billion people on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody. Yeah. Well, I know I've always known you loved Andy Warhol and uh, yeah, I, I, myself, I think we're in a weird collection age where, uh, yeah. When it comes to musicians, you used to buy albums. Now yeah. I have a playlist on Spotify where I have a hundred favorite songs and I couldn't even tell you who the artist was. Yeah. Know? No, I know. It's kind of how, and I feel like that's the same thing with the art industry. It's like, it, it is like a ton of pop culture or like big hits i'm not you know i'm just following you and i'm liking you but i'm not knowing who you are hey man well i have absolutely loved i can't even tell you how much i love awesome, man. tonight's conversation awesome. and, thank you dude uh, yeah absolutely so i'm just gonna ask lastly uh anything you want to yep. lastly share any final thoughts or uh social media that you want to share yeah. people can find yeah. you Got any yeah. NFT drops you're doing or uh, any products you want to share? Uh, yeah, it's this Todd Rochford. If you just Google me, you can find my website. It's toddrochford.com or Rochford Media. You can put in either. It'll get you. And my name is very hard to spell. So it's R-O-C-H-E-F-O-R-D. That's R-O-C-H-E-F-O-R-D, Rochford. So yeah, you can go in there. I don't have anything to sell at some point. And maybe like the, I might put up a course about motion design for user experience, but right now I have nothing to sell, but I'm on Instagram. I also run a skate dad's webpage because I love Dude, skateboarding. We talk about that. I know I have nothing to do with motion graphics. I have whole other sidelines I do, but yeah, <laughs> I would say, I would say follow me. And if you're, look, I love mentoring people. If you're young and you're interested in getting into motion graphics or you're in motion graphics and you're looking to pivot, how you make a pivot to software, hit me up. I'd love to talk to you. And yeah, you can get all my information on my website, toddrochard.com, rochardmedia.com. Both take you to the same place. And yeah, that's it. And I guess the advice I just have to say is you have to enjoy every moment and really focus on enjoying the journey and not where you're going. When I was young, I spent so much time obsessed. I got to get the best clients. I got to have this and that, not realizing how amazing it was just like making music videos with my friends in my room. So it's like, enjoy the journey because someday you're going to be grown up and you're going to have a kid and you're going to be focusing on that and enjoy the wild times when you're first getting started. Cause it's really amazing period of your life. You are a saint. Uh, Guys, the myth, (laughs) the man, the legend is Todd Rockford.